0: Have you ever wondered why bad things happen uh, to good people? It's a question that that plagues Christianity. Why do bad things happen to good people? And honestly, I think the reason that we struggle with this so much is because we, as, as the church, especially the church in the West have done a disservice in selling Christianity. What we've done is we've spent a lot of time focusing on this idea that if you come to Jesus, Jesus will make your life better. Right? And and, and so it's this... um, Philip, do I have control? I don't. Now I should. It's this idea... That if we come to Jesus, he will make our life better. It's what we say. It's what we preach. And it's not untrue. It's just not the full picture of what Jesus has told us and what God has said through his word. We get this idea that if you come to Jesus... He will make your life better, right? We, we preach, like, all you gotta do to get your life worked out, to get it fixed, to get yourself reoriented, to make it make sense, all you have to do, and then everything will work together, is just surrender to Jesus. It's what we sell people. It's the idea that if you will just say the prayer, if you'll just come kneel at the altar, if you will just surrender to Jesus then everything else will work itself out and everything will be okay. And then we surrender to Jesus and it doesn't get better. It gets harder. I mean, there's a joy that I didn't have before maybe, but the circumstances of my life don't get better. Because when we said, all you got to do is come to Jesus and he'll make your life better, I gave you this this really soft sell of what the gospel is. You're like, great, I want my life to be better. I want my life to work better. I'll surrender to Jesus. But what I didn't tell you, if that's my message, surrender and it'll make your life better. Accept Jesus and it'll make your life better. What I'm not telling you is, oh, by the way, your sin is going to dog you. And you're going to have to fight it every day. I didn't tell you that you actually have to die to yourself. The Bible says die to your passions and your desires every day and elevate Jesus' in their place. I say, come to Jesus. He wants to make your life better. That's that's fine. But I'm leaving out the part where I say, oh yeah, and the world's going to hate you for it. They're going to hate you for it. When you stand on things that that the Bible says and you declare that Jesus is the one and only way and that that his word needs to be submitted to you, people will despise you for that teaching. It doesn't feel like my life's getting a whole lot easier. That the world is still broken, and in a broken world, broken things happen, and sometimes they happen to you and people you love. So I came to Jesus, but but that, that didn't get easier see the problem that we have with christianity is that we don't always tell people the truth and i've been guilty of that too although i think we've done a pretty good job around here but but just in case you haven't heard me say it um and and just in case you you've come from a place where where it's something they told you i want i want to clarify following jesus is good Following Jesus gives your life the meaning that it was always intended to have. Following Jesus saves you from the pits of despair. Following Jesus gives your life meaning, gives your life hope. It takes you from death and it moves you to light. It takes you from darkness, right? And it puts you into life. Following Jesus is good listen, following Jesus is tough. It is hard. It is a struggle. And while your life will be better because your life will have purpose and meaning and joy that you couldn't have experienced before, it will be hard. And there's no way around that. We live in a world where, where uh, in a culture at least, in, in the West, where um, you know, the, the popular folks on TV that make it sound so good, that make it sound so encouraging, right? That, that Jesus wants to make you happy, wealthy, and, and, and healthy. Um, and, and Jesus isn't mad when you're happy, and he's not sad when you're wealthy or, or healthy, like he wants those things for you, but they aren't his priority for you. And that's a message that, that might work here. It doesn't work anywhere else in the Christian world it doesn't work when somebody has cancer. You can't look at somebody with cancer and tell them, Jesus wants you to be healthy. Right? And you're like, well, yes, he does. He wants to heal them. Maybe. Maybe he does. Also, maybe he doesn't. And we have to be okay with that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let that sit for a minute, because it's hard. And we're going to deal with hard over the next four weeks as we dig into this overview of Job. Jesus wants good for you, hands down, no questions asked. Jesus doesn't necessarily want the good that you think you want. In fact, We're going to see as we get into Job and we look through Scripture that the Bible tells us that sometimes the good that Jesus does in our humanness is something that feels really bad. And we just have to be okay with it. And that's where faith kicks in. So we're going to deal with all of this. But man, I just want to acknowledge up front that while this is uh, an academic conversation to some of you, we talk about why do bad things happen to good people and some of you it's a very academic conversation but for some of you this is a very intimate and painful conversation maybe you're sitting there and you're like man yeah bad things happen but nothing really bad has ever really happened to me or people that i love and care about and good i'm glad But for most of you, for many of you, when we start having this conversation, it is personal, it is painful, it is deep. And so in the time that I have left to be your pastor, if you've got questions, I don't know that I've got answers, but man, I would love to sit and talk to you and pray with you and ask God together. Because I understand that this could be painful. All right, let's dig in. We're in the book of Job. If you've got your Bibles open up, we're going to look at the first two chapters uh, this morning, but we're going to go through at kind of an abbreviated pace. Um, so go ahead and turn. This is cute. I forgot my glasses. It's all right. I can do it. All right. In Job... Uh, in case you, if you're unfamiliar with Job, Job is, is in the Old Testament. Uh, it's right before you get to the Psalms. So if you open your Bible to the middle, you'll see Psalms. Just go to the left a little bit. You'll hit Job. Job is a, now listen, it's a historical book. Job is not fiction. Job is not a metaphor. Right? Job is real. The reason that's important for us to understand is because sometimes um, uh, people think that that because Jesus taught in parables, right, stories that were meant to teach a lesson, and Jesus does that, he teaches parables. Sometimes, some people think that Job is a parable, right? But Job isn't a parable. Job is historical. It's a real thing that really happened. Most likely, um, Job happened um, sometime before Abraham. Thank you. I'm like, how often do I have to hint before somebody hooks me up? Wow, whose are these? (laughs) Kathy's, wow. Thank you. Never have I felt so manly before. Let's read in Job 1. That's actually very helpful. Thank you, Kathy. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He is, listen, he is a good man. Now, I know some of you are wanting to short circuit the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And you're like, I've been in church long enough, I know the answer. Nobody's good. Nobody's good. Right? So you're like, ha ha, done. Series over. I'm out. No, you're not. Because here's the thing, right? You're right. Nobody is good. We are all sinful people, right? At our core, we've talked about this. We're the wrong shape because of the fall. We're supposed to be squares, we're circles, right? We don't fit. And because we're the wrong shape, even the good things we do, they miss the mark. And you all know that we do, even with the best of intentions, sometimes we just do wrong things. So nobody is good, right? But humanly speaking, there are good people. We all struggle with sin, of course we do. But you know some good people. People that try hard. People that that work hard to follow God. Right? They love well. They are always full of truth and always full of grace. Their intention is to, to follow and honor God by doing what he wants them to do. Humanly speaking, right, these are good people. Job was a good person. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless, and he was upright. He feared God. He shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the east. Here's how righteous he was. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they'd invite their sisters, and and they would eat, and they would drink. And when the period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom right? Job loved God, he feared God, he shunned evil, and he wanted God to be honored so much that just on the off chance that his kids had sinned, right? He doesn't know they've sinned, they probably haven't sinned, but just on the off chance, he, he tries to intervene and make intercession for them because he, he wants God to be honored that much. Job is a good guy. And that's where things get wonky. Because there's this story that we're ultimately really uncomfortable with. One day, the members of the heavenly court, these are angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, that's what Satan does, he accuses, the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Okay, so there's a couple things that we have to deal with right there, right off the bat. Yes, this is a real interaction where God and the devil are having a conversation. At this point in time, in the history of of all things, the fall has happened. Satan has rejected and rebelled against God. He has been defeated. That does not mean that Satan does not still have access to the heavenly realms. Now, not like sabotage access. It's not like he's roaming around being a spy, right? But what this means is that when God summons him, he comes. And God is holding court. God is holding court. Um, And all of the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser Satan came with them because God told him to. And so, here he is now before God. Now, there will be a point in time in history, and some of you are wondering. um, There will be a point in time in human history where Satan is cast out of the heavenlies for good. You can read about that in Revelation 12. In Revelation 12, there's this great struggle, right? And and Satan tries to overpower Satan. the angels, and of course Michael and the other angels defeat him, and he is cast out of heaven for good. That is the time where he makes terrible war on God's people. We know that is the great tribulation. Okay, that'll happen um, in the future, but right now the accuser has access to the throne room, and in this instance God has summoned him along with the other members of the heavenly court. And he asks him, right? He engages Satan. He's not just like, sit there while all of these angels worship me and just deal with it, right? But he asks him a question. He says, hey, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Of course he has, right? Looking to wreak havoc, walking around like a lion, looking for people to devour. And then God does this really weird thing. He baits Satan. Satan. What's about to happen, what's about to happen, I don't have an answer for you. You're going to ask me, Matt, why? I don't know. But I need us to be clear about this because it sets the tone for everything else that we're going to see in the next three weeks. Is that God starts this whole thing. Everything that's going to happen with Job, everything that's going to happen, God initiates. Verse 8, then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. God is the one that brings up Job. He's like, Hey, check out my boy Job. He's awesome. And Satan, because he's the great accuser, has an answer. He accuses Job. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear and follow God. You've always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property, and you've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is, but reach out your hand and take everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. So Satan accuses Job, and he says, Job only follows you because it benefits him. Job doesn't love you. Job doesn't care about you. Job cares about himself. Job loves himself, and Job is smart enough to know that if he does what you want, you'll give him good things. And God says, challenge accepted. All right. That's what he says to Satan. All right. You may test him the Lord said to Satan, do whatever you want with him. Everything he possesses, basically saying everything he possesses, I'm going to let you mess with, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. God gives him permission. And you know what he does? Satan runs with it and he destroys it all. He burns it to the ground. You keep reading in Job 1, and here's what happens. Um, first of all, um, raiders come and steal all of his livestock and all of his animals and all of his property, right? Then a hurricane or, or, or strong winds come, and, it, and, and where all of the, the children, the seven sons and the three daughters um, and the servants, they're all, they're all together or something like that, and, and the wind comes, and it... And it um, f- Just weakens the structure of the house, and it collapses, and all of the children, and all of, they just die. I mean, they're crushed, and they die. I mean, God's like, yeah, go ahead, mess with him, mess with him, and Satan messes. He loses all of his money, all of his possessions all of his servants, all of his children. There's a joke in there somewhere he keeps his wife. We'll talk about that in a minute. It's a terrible joke. It's not even funny. Why are you laughing? But the Bible tells us this. Satan was wrong. He was dead wrong. See, because Satan accused Job, he said, Job is only looking after his own self-interest. So he follows you because you do things for him. And God said, fine. Test it. So Satan tested it. And everything that Job had, all of his hope for the present and his hope for the future, all of it wiped out in a single day. And here's Job's response. He stood up and he tore his robe in grief. He grieved hard. He shaved his head. He fell to the ground to worship and he said I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. And in all of this Job did not sin. See here's, here's his response. A great response of faith. Satan accuses him and says he's only worshiping you because he's being selfish and he wants To take care of his own self-interest. And God says test it. Satan tests it. Takes everything he has in a day. And Job still worships God. Still. He still worships God. So clearly Satan's accusations were wrong. Job wasn't just praising God because God gave him all this good stuff. All the stuff is gone now. And he's still praising God. So then God does it again. You're like, okay, lesson learned. Whew, that was rough. I didn't like it, but it's over, except it's not. Chapter two, we read that God calls another heavenly council. And all of the heavenly council present themselves before God again, including Satan. And God goes right back at him. He says, hey, check out my boy Job. Right? You noticed him? You incited me against him. But he's still the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. Fears God, he stays away from evil. And he maintained that integrity even though you urged me to harm him without cause. So get in your place, Satan. But Satan accuses again. Satan replied, well, skin for skin. A man will give up everything he has to save his life. He's still following you. He accuses him. He says, yeah, but he's still only following you because he's afraid you'll kill him if he doesn't. So he says, reach out, take away his health, and he will surely curse you to your face. So Satan makes a bet, and the bet is this. If you hurt him physically, he'll curse you. God says, all right, I'll take that bet. Do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence and he struck Job with terrible boils from his head to his foot. So bad that Job takes a piece of broken pottery to perform a little makeshift surgery to scrape the skin as he sat in the ashes. Job's response though? His wife says to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. And Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all of this, Job said nothing wrong. So here's here's the whole backdrop of the story. The backdrop of the story is that Job was a genuinely good dude trying to lead his family and the people around him to love and worship God and to shun evil. He's trying to do right. He has committed his whole life to doing right. God, wanting to prove a point to Satan, and I think to us, allows Satan to mess with everything he owns. And in that Job maintains his worship of God. He says, no, 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 God. Naked I came, naked I'll go. You alone are God. Satan takes it a step further, and and so God allows him to to give him this terrible physical pain. But even in that pain, Job stands firm. And he says, I'm not just going to take good things from God. God. I'm going to accept everything he gives me. But there's something clear here. Job knows where this is coming from. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? See, don't miss this. Job knows where this is coming from. And Job isn't blaming Satan. You're like, Matt, that sucks. I know it sucks, right? But listen to me. Satan isn't doing anything here that God is not allowing him to do. So Job understands this affliction that he's dealing with is because of God. That's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. You're like, but Matt, I thought God wanted me to be happy, happy, wealthy, and healthy. Yeah, that's obviously not always the case because God has something else in mind here. But in this, even though Job knows that these things are from the hand of God, Job is not, Job is not rejecting God. Here's the truth. Job is taking what he knows about God and this is, this is the crux of the whole series. Job is taking what he knows about God, that God loves unconditionally, that God is all-powerful, that God is sovereign, that God is kind, that God is faithful. He is taking everything he knows about God, and he is using that information to see his pain. Some people will take all of their hurt and all of the bad things that are happening, and they will use that information to see God. It's like these glasses that I have. It's like the lenses on these glasses. I know, you can take me seriously, it's okay. These lenses help me see more clearly. In my own faith, If my lenses are the character of God, the fact that God is sovereign, which means he's in control of everything, the fact that God is loving, the fact that God cares for me so much that he sent his son to die for me, the fact that God is faithful to me even when I'm not faithful to him, the fact that God pours himself out for me, if these lenses are what I know about God, then that's going to affect everything I see even the bad things that happen, I'm going to see them through the lens of how great and awesome my sovereign God is. But if I take these off and bad things happen, then I'm just going to see bad things and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be real happy with God. But Job has this thing that he does where he remembers how good God is. Naked I came, naked I'll go. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I can't accept good things from God and not take the bad because God is who he is. Here's what I need you to understand. It's what Job understands. God might be up to something bigger. And the fact that God might be up to something bigger means that he might have reasons for doing things that you don't understand. So, Let's keep going here. Um, We still have to answer the question, why, right? And saying, well, because God has things that you don't understand, it's not really a very satisfying answer. So let me say it this way. Um, First of all, sometimes bad things happen to you or to people that you care about because they invited bad things to happen to them. Sometimes we we can't really um, go and play the Job card. People love to play the Job card. I'm like Job like when bad things happen to me, is I'm, I'm like Job. I'm like Job. I, gotta, I, 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 I'm, I have this affliction, and there's no reason for it, but I just have to trust God. No, man, you've got the affliction, right? You're in jail because you embezzled all the money from your company. <laughs> You're not like Job. You stole a bunch of stuff and got caught. You did that. You, Satan didn't have to say to God, hey, will you crack the door open for me? You left it open. Right? I remember once... I called the police. This is when I was in college. I was living in in, um, a house with some buddies, and uh, somebody stole my golf clubs. That was back when I liked to golf. I'm not a good golfer, and this is the reason why. This this story right here. (laughs) Somebody stole my golf clubs out of my car. I'm like, huh, that's terrible. Called the police. They came. They're like, well, let's get the statement. Like... Did they break a window? Did they jimmy the lock? No, doors were unlocked, windows were down. (laughs) Needless to say, they were not overly impressed with my need, right? They're like, well, I don't know what to tell you, right? Um, There's not a lot we can do to help you here. Satan didn't have to convince, for a lot of us, Satan doesn't have to convince God to crack the door open because we left it wide open, right? Right? You neglect your family. You neglect your family. You neglect your family. You make that decision, and then one day they're gone, and you wonder why. You're not Job. You're not Job. You smoke a pack a day. A pack a day for years and years and years. You got lung cancer. You ain't Job. You opened the door wide open. Like, like these are things that happen, right? Right? So so we can't look at every bad thing that happens and say, oh, it's the hand of God heavy upon me. No, sometimes you just did dumb, right? It's one of the reasons. why, Why is there a hedge of protection around Job? Because Job is obedient. The hedge of protection exists around Job because Job is obedient. The hedge of protection existed around Job's kids because Job was regularly interceding for his children. Pray for your kids, man. Right? But but sometimes these things happen because we leave the door wide open. Most of the time, these things happen because we leave the door wide open. But not always. Sometimes they happen because God has decided. And those are the ones that are really so hard to deal with. Why do people die young? I don't have the answer to why people die young. I have a partial answer Isaiah 57, 1 and 2. Here's what God, God himself says this. Sometimes good people pass away, the godly often die before their time. That means they die young, they die tragically, they die in a ways that nobody was expecting. Good people pass away, the godly often die before their time. No one seems to care or wonder why. No one seems to understand is protecting them from the evil to come. For those who follow godly paths will rest in peace when they die. Why do people die young? I, I don't have the answer to that question every time it happens. But at least I have this. Sometimes it's by God's design. And no, it's not because he needed another angel in heaven. If you've s- stop saying that, that's not how that works. It's not how that works and people say it all the time and they mean like oh god needed him in heaven no that, that stop it right i get the intention the intention is to provide support and to give comfort It doesn't help it only makes things worse i promise right but here's the deal right sometimes god chooses to take good godly christian people before their time and we don't know why but to have a little hope god tells us this Sometimes I did that intentionally to spare them what was to come. And you're like, well, how was that nice of God? How is it nice of God to let somebody go in a car accident or to let somebody pass away of illness? How is it good of God to do that? How is that gracious? Well, listen, if they love Jesus, if they were surrendered to Jesus, trust me, it was good for them. Not so much for us. But it was good for them, for those who follow godly paths will rest in peace when they die, in glory, in this blessed eternity that we are all longing for. They just got there faster. Did they miss out on some things? Sure, they did. Are they sad about it? Why do bad things happen to good people? We don't always have the answer, but sometimes, God says, sometimes it's a blessing you just don't realize because you're not me. But for Job, are you ready for this one? This is going to suck. Job's suffering came because of his unwavering faithfulness to God. Why did Job's suffering happen? Well, Job's suffering happened because he was unwaveringly faithful to God. And that faithfulness allowed God to use Job to do something on an eternal heavenly scale that Job couldn't see. Again, I know that's unsatisfactory, but at some point in time, we're just going to have to decide do we trust God or not? Because I can't give you the answer to why God decided this was helpful. I know that the suffering came because Job was unwaveringly faithful. And I can tell you that sometimes, most of the time you ain't Job, but sometimes, sometimes your suffering might happen and you have no reason that you can point your finger to there's no sin in your life that opened the door and we just have to say god's god i'm not but here's the thing your suffering can do a couple things your your suffering is going to i hope point people to god c.s lewis says it this way pain insists upon being attended to God whispers in our pleasure, he speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. He says, pain is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. If God can use your pain to get somebody's attention, let me ask you this question. Is it worth it? And it's okay if you want to say no. It's okay if you want to say no right? Because humanly speaking, it might not be worth it. My pain and tragedy in this moment might not be worth the attention that God is trying to get from somebody else. But from an eternal perspective, is it worth it? Absolutely. Let's say I get cancer. Ah, forget that. Let's say I have heart disease. You're like, okay, see, Matt, that's another one. You open the door for that one. Cancer, legitimately, you'd be like, okay, that's God's affliction. Heart disease, you're like, dude, you opened the door, right? God, Satan didn't have to ask him to crack it open. You just left it wide open. But let's say this happens to me, right? Let's say I have some kind of heart disease. And, and let's say that it's going to end my life short. I'm not going to be able to see Travis get married someday. I'm not going to hold grandkids. That, that Very possibly, um, I'm not going to be alive if she decides to get married to walk Aubrey down the aisle. Or to make her really uncomfortable with her premarital counseling, should I get the chance to do it. <laughs> that's going to happen, right? And, 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 and that's just what it is. And, and, and so we would say, well, Matt, that's pain. And there's a lot of things I'm going to miss. And there's a lot of things, hopefully, hopefully, that other people are going to miss about me. I mean, there's at least two or three of you here that would be sad. Raise your—no, never mind. Um, But there are other people that might feel bad about my heart disease and untimely demise. And at least three of you that are going to say, I told him so. But you keep that to yourself at my funeral. There's a time and place is it worth it? Humanly speaking, no, it's a tragedy. Because I had things to offer, man. I promise I had things to offer. I was even going to share the gospel with more people. I was maybe even going to lead some more people to Jesus. I was going to love my family well. I was going to pray for my grandkids every single day, the way my grandparents did for me. So is it worth it? Well, no, I mean... Worldly speaking, like, that's a tragedy. But what if? What if God knows something I don't? What if God somehow uses that tragedy to get a hold of people that I love that have been ignoring him? What if God somehow uses that tragedy to allow the gospel to be shared at a funeral or something where where people might hear it and respond to it? Or where people in a state of grief might be more open to hearing about the God that I love so much? Or what if I was able to have enough faith and joy in the midst of my suffering and, and my demise that it impacted somebody else? What if there's some people that come to know Jesus and get to spend eternity in heaven because of my untimely tragic earthly death would it be worth it then see what job's doing is job is is taking what he sees and he's filtering it through this idea that god is sovereign which means he's in control and god is good and loving which means whatever he's doing he's got a reason that's good and he's just letting it play out Does he have questions? Yes, he's got questions. Is he upset? Yes, he's upset. Does he have faith? Yeah, you betcha. See, and some of us have been led to believe, I'm going to skip ahead here a little bit for your benefit, because I love you. Some of us have been led to believe that if we struggle in these moments, it's because our faith isn't good. But that's just you asking faith to do something it was never intended to do. There's three things faith can't do. Choosing faith in the midst of pain will not eliminate your pain. Trust me, as we keep looking through the book of Job, Job is devastated. He is devastated. He's broken. He weeps. He mourns. He's in physical pain. His wife still just wants him to give up and die. He's broken. But God says that he still has faith. Naked I came, naked I'll leave. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and he takes away. Still, my heart will choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. If you've got pain, in the midst of grief and tragedy that does not mean that you don't have strong faith and shame anybody that told you differently shame anyone that tells you differently grief doesn't cancel out faith it just is honest Choosing faith in the midst of pain won't stop the questions. Why, God? Why? In eight and a half years as your pastor, we've been through some stuff. Many of you. And it's been hard for me, and I know it's been a lot harder for you. having strong faith does not take away the questions of why we want answers we want to know why sometimes God shows us glimpses sometimes he doesn't eventually we'll get to see eventually we'll get to see But sometimes not on this earth And your questions of why don't mean that your faith is weak. It means that you're human. Right? Read through the Psalms. David questions over and over and over again. And he is honest and it's gut-wrenching and it's sad and it's epically difficult for him at times. But the Bible tells us that he was a man after God's own heart. That he was faithful. Choosing faith in the midst of pain won't. Stop the questions, and it won't provide you with a logical reason for your suffering. You know, in the book of Job, there are two great chapters of faith. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 are these great chapters of faith. Awesome chapters of faith. Followed by 35 chapters of Job asking why. His faith isn't bad because he wants to know why his faith isn't bad because it doesn't provide him a logical explanation you can have strong faith and be confused at what God's doing you can have strong faith and wonder why God's doing it and question what it's all about and you can have strong faith and be in pain and grief faith was never designed to take those things completely away But faith is good, and faith does some things. Faith chooses, I'm sorry, choosing faith in the midst of suffering reminds us that we have hope because the one person we're trusting is the only one that is completely in control. And as hard as it is for us to stomach and swallow, the book of Job teaches that. Nothing happens that is outside of God's sovereign control. And so when Job chooses to put his faith in that God, he's actually making the wisest decision possible. Because I would think we could all understand that it's best to trust the person who is completely in control. And I've never been completely in control. I would like to be. But I'm not. And so when I choose faith, even in the middle of hard things, I'm reminding myself that I'm choosing faith in a God who is sovereign and is completely in control. Choosing faith in the midst of suffering will be a rare gift to God. We sang some weird songs today. Your grace is enough, right? You're like, well, that's not too weird. I know, it gets weirder. But ostensibly, we're we're singing this song about how in the midst of hard things, God's grace is enough to get us through. And then we sang, blessed be the name of the Lord, which comes straight from Job, right? You give, God, and you take away. You give me good things, and you take good things away from me. But still my heart will choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. It is well. We sang, it is well. Right? There is wind, there is waves, there is rain, there is pressure, there is tragedy, there is awful, there is bad. Even so, it is well with my soul. We sing these songs, right? And, and, and some of you are singing them today from a real good spot. Your life is going the way you want it to go. It is making sense. And you can sing songs of praise to God in those moments. But you know what's a rare gift to God? To sing those songs when it hurts so bad. I've been so impressed with this church and so many of you in this church and so many times of tragedy and suffering and hardship at your faith. Because you just keep singing. I promise you this, that is a rare gift to God when you can do that. Think back, I mean, I don't know, we're talking about tragedy and suffering and death and all of that, so I don't think I'm I'm stoking any old wounds that I haven't already stoked, but I think about Jr. I think about the day after Jr. passed. I showed up at church here the next morning, and it was a long night for me. Dude, (laughs) I can only imagine what it was for the two of you. And I come in here and John beats me here to the church and he's just sitting up here praying in this little makeshift altar. He's just sitting up here praying. Here's what I can tell you. That is a rare gift to God. That's what faith can do. Faith can give God a gift that you can't give in any other time. choosing faith in the midst of suffering will bring you closer to God Job is about to have the most intimate experience with God that he could ever have he just doesn't know it yet he's about to have the most intimate experience with God that a person could have and it takes suffering to get there so here's what I want to tell you as we get ready to wrap up today Thanks for being patient with me. Here's what I want to tell you as we wrap up. Don't quit just before those moments happen. Don't quit before those intimate moments with God happen. Because here's, here's the way it works when there's tragedy and when there's suffering. If you stick it out... If you remember that God is sovereign and in control and he's good and so he has a reason that even you don't understand and that you're just going to trust him in this no matter what. That will lead you to these rare intimate moments with God. But not if you quit. And I've known people. And my heart breaks for them. Because then they lose twice. I've known people that have quit they've just quit the tragedy happened and instead of trusting God in the midst of tragedy they just quit and they lost twice whatever the tragic thing was they lost and then whatever the blessing was going to be about drawing closer to God they lost that too so let me leave you with this encouragement, and I promise you we'll get better as we you're like, man, this it's kind of sucked, man. I know. We got three more weeks as we start tracking through these things. We'll get there, right? Um, we're we're going to get there. But, but in this moment, I want to tell you this. Your suffering is real. Your grief is real. Don't let people convince you that it's not or that it shouldn't be. Your questions are legitimate. The fact that you can't make a logical explanation for why things have happened the way they happen, that's legitimate, and that does not mean your faith is weak. does not mean your faith is weak. Stay faithful. It is a rare gift to God, and it's going to lead you into a more intimate time with Him than you've ever experienced. Don't quit. Heavenly Father, God, you are gracious, and you are kind, and we love you so much, and, and, and we thank you that you are in control of all things, that you are sovereign, that you are good, that you are above us, that you know more than we do. God, left to our own devices, sometimes this life feels especially cruel, and we wonder where are you? And why do you allow it? And why does it happen? And why don't you stop it? And why don't you do something? And if you were really real, and if you were really good, then you would do something different. But God, we aren't you. And you have a plan that is ultimately good. And you have a plan that is ultimately loving. And you have a plan that will ultimately bring benefit to those that love you and that will steer people towards you. And so, God, in this moment, we just ask you, in the midst of these difficult things of suffering and tragedy, to just embolden our faith, to make it strong, to show us glimpses. But, God, more than anything else, just to help us remember to trust you. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for these hard things in your word, and we thank you for the ability um, to always seek after you. We love you and praise you. Amen.